0: Israelites left Babylon, many returning to Jerusalem, and some heading to surrounding countries. An Israelite named Mordecai moved to a country called Susa with his adopted daughter Esther. While they were there, the king of Susa, Xerxes, was looking for a woman to become queen. Young women from all over Susa, including Esther, were brought to live in the king's palace and go through a year of beauty treatments before the king would make his selection. When Esther finally got to meet King Xerxes, he was attracted to her more than any of the other women. So Xerxes placed a crown on Esther's head and made her queen. But Esther did not tell him that she was an Israelite, also called a Jew, because Mordecai asked her not to, fearing his reaction. One day, Esther's father Mordecai was sitting near the king's gate and overheard two of the king's officers planning to kill the king. So he warned Esther, and Esther told King Xerxes. The king's life was saved and the two men were executed. Shortly after, King Xerxes promoted one of his men, named Haman, to a position higher than all the other officials. He commanded everyone to bow down as Haman entered each day through the king's gate, but Mordecai refused. When Haman saw this, he was furious and even more angry when he found out from some of his officials that Mordecai was an Israelite. So he looked for a way to kill not only Mordecai, but all of the Israelites living in Susa. He convinced King Xerxes to declare a law, stating that all Israelites living in the region would be killed on a specific day because they would not follow the king's laws. When Mordecai heard about the law, he tore his clothing and wept bitterly. He convinced Esther to go before the king, reveal that she was an Israelite, and ask the king to spare her people. There was one problem. No one, not even the queen, was allowed to come before the king uninvited. If they did, they risked being put to death. But Esther was brave and approached the king who asked, What is your request? Esther said that she wished for the king to host a banquet and to make sure that Haman, the man who wanted to kill the Israelites, was there. At the banquet, she would make her request known. When the day of the banquet came, everyone, including Haman, was there. The king asked Esther what it was that she wanted. She revealed that she was an Israelite, a Jew, and begged for her own life and the lives of her people. The king was furious with Haman, who had convinced him to create the law and had him arrested and killed. Then King Xerxes not only removed the law to kill the Israelites, but gave all of them living in the region protection and rights. Because of Esther's bravery, the Israelites were spared and even honored.
1: The book of Esther is the most unique book in the entire Bible. Nine chapters, and God isn't mentioned even once. There's no reference to God whatsoever. In fact, the only religious reference at all is in one verse where Esther says she's going to fast, and she calls all the Jews in the land to fast. That's it. That's one of the reasons I love the book of Esther. Esther. Because how often do we think that God is just kind of in a distance that he's not really actively involved in our lives? How often are we living our lives as if God isn't even there when in reality God is the one who is over all the things that are happening in our lives? Because what you see in the book of Esther is that behind all of these activities that are happening, God is at work. It is God who brought Esther to the place of being the queen of the land at a time when the Jews were threatened. It looked like the entire Jewish population would be wiped out. But God in his sovereign, God who is in control in his sovereignty, he brought Esther to this place for such a time as this. This morning we're continuing a series that we're doing, visiting with us. It's We're going through 70% of the Bible in 31 weeks. And this morning we're looking at the book of Esther. And it's a great story. I hope you enjoyed that summary there. It's an amazing story. And again, it's one that we don't see the name of God mentioned, but God is central to the entire story. And so this morning what we want to see is four things that God is going to say to us through this story this morning, but before I, we look at those four points, I want to just set the story in its context. Last week when we left off, we saw that the king of Persia, who had just conquered Babylon, had allowed God's people to begin to go back to Judea, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the holy city, to rebuild the temple of the Lord, to rebuild the land that had been completely destroyed by the Babylonians. And so, people began to just kind of filter slowly, it had been 70 years, slowly to the land. The story of Esther happens 100 years after the people had begun going back to the land. There are still Jews that are living in what was once Babylon, and we saw here where Jews were moving to different countries. Now, the question that we're going to see, is God there with Esther? Is God there in Persia? Is God there in what was Babylon? Is God still active? Is God still in control? And we're going to see the answer to that question this morning. Remember that this is a generation that grew up in exile. This was a generation that grew up in what was Babylon and is now Persia. This is the world that they know. There are still thousands and thousands of Jews that are living under the, in the Persian area, as well as Persia having control over Judah and Jerusalem. So I want you to see four things this morning that I think are important for us today to understand about God, about ourselves. Four things that are important for us to know in our lives. And here's the first one. God is faithful to His promises, as we saw last week. God had made a covenant, and those covenant promises was that He would be the God of Israel, and through Israel, He would be the God of everyone, you and me, if we let Him. And so God had made this great promise, and now we come to the story where it looks like the Jews are going to be annihilated. God had said that his son would come to the throne, that a great one was coming. The Messiah would come and would sit upon the throne, and he would come through the Jewish lineage. But here we look at the story, and we see that they're about to be wiped out. And the question is, can God do anything about it? God had made a promise to the people. And here's what's happening. Esther is a young woman who had basically been adopted by a man named Mordecai. Mordecai was her cousin. And Mordecai was looking out after her life. And he made sure that, he, that she had everything that she needed. They had moved to an area called Susa. Susa was a very powerful city in this age. Susa was the western capital of Persia. This is the place where all the wealthy and the king himself came to live during the winter months. It was a beautiful city in a a beautiful area of the land. In fact, the the king's palace here in in Susa was extraordinary. It was extravagant. One day, as he was sitting on his throne there in Susa, he had called Vashti, his queen. He summoned her to him. Now, ladies, I know that you just love hearing this. It was, she was to come to him, but she, for whatever reason, refused, and the king had her banished. You can't do that. In fact, one commentary I read said that he did that because he didn't want any woman to think that when the man in her life summoned her, she didn't have to come. No applause? (laughs) (laughs) And so Vashti, Queen Vashti, was banished. What ensues is a year-long beauty contest where young women in the land were brought to live in the palace, and for one year they were pampered. It was a year at the spa. They they had, each of the women had their own entourage who would put oils on their skin and oils in their hair and would feed them just the right food. So when the time was right, when a year was up, each of these women stood before King Xerxes. And King Xerxes selected the one who would be his queen. As soon as he laid eyes on Esther, he knew she was the one. There was a man, another man there, that had risen to power. Mordecai actually worked among the people of the palace. And what there was a man named Haman. And the king Xerxes, he gave Haman authority over all of his affairs in, in the city of Susa. And so he was, besides king Xerxes, the most powerful man in Susa. But well, he did not like Mordecai, and Mordecai did not like Haman. They had a conflict. Here was the conflict. Haman was an Amalekite, and Mordecai was a Jew. And they had years of fighting between the Amalekites and the Jews, so that Haman and Mordecai, knowing each other's background, they hated each other. And so Haman decided, I'm, with my authority, I'm going to make everybody bow before me when they come to me. So everybody who came across Haman had to bow before him. Mordecai came by Haman, and he refused to bow. He was not going to bow to this Amalekite. And that made Haman very angry. So he went to the king one day, and he asked the king... To declare an edict. Now, once a king declared an edict, it was good forevermore. Not even the king himself could go back on that edict. Here was the edict. That all the Jews in the Persian land were to be destroyed by a date determined by Haman. And so Haman determined a date. You know how he picked the date? He took some dice and he rolled it and it became a certain date and the jews knew that when that day came they were going to be destroyed and they could not do anything to even protect themselves the jews would be destroyed god's promises would not be fulfilled in fact to this day the jews celebrate the feast of purim anybody ever heard of the feast of purim yeah it's a it's a jewish holiday to this day you know what they're celebrating Purim means lot or dice. And so they are celebrating God's victory in the story of Esther. This became an extraordinary extraordinary event. During World War II, when Hitler and the Nazis were killing the Jews, they were not allowed to read from the book of Esther. The Jews were not allowed to recite the book of Esther. They were not allowed to celebrate the Feast of Purim. Why? Because it would give them hope that God could rescue them. And so what's going to happen? Nobody can stop the edict, not even the king himself. There's nothing he can do. The die has been set. The lot has been cast. The Jews are going to be destroyed, and they cannot do anything to protect themselves. Mordecai hears this. He knows that the edict has been pronounced. He knows what this means for him, for Esther, for all the Jews who live in the land. He knows that death is coming. But God intervenes. God intervenes. Esther comes. And we'll talk about that in a moment. Esther comes. And Esther gets the king to declare a new edict. And here's the edict. That the Jews have the right to protect themselves on that day of slaughter. That the Jews don't have to just be victims. They can protect themselves on that day. Remember, the king cannot reverse the edict he's already made. That day, the Jews are going to be attacked. But he issues a new edict because of Esther. That says that the Jews can protect themselves. Listen to what we read. In chapter 8 verse 11, the king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and to protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate the armed men of any nationality of any province who might attack them and their women and children, and to plunder the property of their enemies. This is the new edict. You can protect yourselves. Who was behind this? Was it Esther? Well, we're going to see in a moment that God is behind the entire story. God is orchestrating the circumstances. Here's what I want you to see in this first point. The Jews probably believe at this point that God has forgotten them. They are living in a crisis of faith. Their temple has been destroyed. They've been driven from their land. They're living as exiles in a foreign nation. They're powerless to change their circumstances. It's amazing that so many thousands have chosen to remain and not go home again. They, don't, they wonder if God is still there. They know that the exile was because of their disobedience to God. And the question they're asking is, can God forgive us? Has God forgiven us? Now at the very same time, the prophets of God are speaking to the people at the time, at this very time of Esther and Mordecai. And they're saying that God, God has forgiven the people. The time of their exile is over. The time of their discipline is over. They are forgiven and they can go home again. But they wonder. They wonder, has God really forgiven us? They wonder, we are not the ones who, who chose to go home. We stayed in this pagan foreign land Has God forgotten us? Is God not going to care for us? Is God not going to provide for us? Is God not going to be present? And what the story of Esther says is God is a God who fulfills his promises, God is a God who forgives his people. Friends, we all make mistakes. All of us, not just kids, adults, parents, pastors, we all make mistakes. We all do things that we shouldn't do or fail to do the things that we should do. We all say things that we shouldn't say, and we don't say the things that we should say. And the question becomes, has God forgotten us? Does God still love us? You see, it wasn't Esther who saved the people in the book of Esther. It was God orchestrating the circumstances so that Esther was in a place where she could save the people of God, or I should say, God could save the people through her. Friends, I wonder if some of you feel like this crisis of faith this morning, The Pastor, you don't know where I've been. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know my unfaithfulness. You don't know the things that I've failed to do. You don't know the mess that I've made of my life and the lives of the people around me. And you're having a crisis of faith. Is God there? I don't feel him. I don't sense him. Is he there? Listen to what we read in 2 Timothy 2.13 says this. If we are faithless and the people of God have been faithless, Hear this, God is faithful, for he cannot disown who he is. The problem is we live in a world where people treat us as we deserve. When I am mean, people are mean back to me. When I am faithless, they are faithless toward me. They reject me. They push me out of their lives. When we make mistakes, we are rejected in the world. But God says, you can always come home again. God says, I will always love you to the ends of the age. God says, even though you have been faithless to me, I will be faithful to every promise I have made to you. You are my child. You will always be my child. You can come home again. And in those days when you don't sense the activity of God, the work of God, and you're dealing with difficult circumstances, God is still there. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. Listen to what we read in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, again, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you need to go home to God again today? Have you been running from him and you wonder, is he still there? He has never left you. He is the God of all people, whether they recognize him or not, whether they believe in him or not. He is still God, the only God, the only one worthy of our worship. And if we believe in the name of Jesus, we will be forgiven and restored. An amazing reality. Here's a second thing that I want you to see this morning. God is involved. He's involved in our lives we may not know it we may not see it but he is and he's in control of all things the reference on there should be chapter 4 verse 14 listen to what happens Mordecai has come to Esther and what Esther knows is if she declares that she's a Jew That she is going to get caught up on that day when all Jews are murdered and there's nothing the king can do to save her life. She knows that if she comes to the king to ask for anything without him summoning her, that she can be banished just like Queen Vashti. She's afraid of King Xerxes. Listen to what happens. Then um, Mordecai is talking to her. Verse 14. For if you, Esther, remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. See, Mordecai, I believe, remembers the promise of God and knows that God will not let the people be destroyed. But you and your family, father's family, you will perish. And who knows but you have, that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. On May 25th, 1979, a man by the name of Dennis Waitley was trying to catch a flight from Chicago to Los Angeles. It was American Airlines Flight 199. And he was rushing. He was late. He ran to the gate. The gate had just closed. And they would not let him on that plane. And he was furious. I need to get to Los Angeles, he said. They said, well, you can't get on this flight. We've already closed the gate. And he didn't see any reason why they shouldn't have opened that gate for him. You ever been there? <laughs> I have. And so he goes back, he goes back, and he, um, he's standing in line to, uh, to complain as well as to exchange his ticket to catch a later flight when all of a sudden he hears the announcement. American Airlines Flight 199 crashed on takeoff. All 250-plus uh, all people aboard that flight perished. I remember this particular flight. I had flown American Airlines Flight 199 Chicago to L- LA exactly one week before. Now, was it the same plane? Probably not. But I had flown that very same same flight, and I remember thinking, wow, was I lucky. Imagine if, if my business had sent me a week later, and I was on that flight. Now, you hear the story of Dennis Waitley, you hear my experience, what do we think? Wow, that was lucky. Wow, that was a coincidence. Isn't it a great thing that he wasn't on that, that I wasn't on that flight? I'm a lucky guy. It's by chance that I'm still alive today. No. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says God is in control. The Bible says there is no such thing as luck, there is no such thing as chance. The Bible says, That we know a God who is sovereign in control of all things. Now, these kinds of things, these crashes, these accidents, the the kinds of evil that we, beyond that, the evil we see in our world, all of that is due to the sin that entered the world. That was never God's plan. It was never God's design. That was our choice. But friends, there is no such thing as chance. There's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. There's the sovereignty and the control of the God who loves you. Now, sometimes things happen to us and we don't fully grasp it. We don't fully understand it. But this I know. God is in control. And I may not understand it right now. And, I, and often I don't agree with things that happen in this world. If I were God, I would do it differently. But I'm not God and one day when i'm with him i believe i will understand and i believe i will agree because there'll be nothing more important to me in all of eternity than loving god and his plan and his purposes and his design friends what if the things that are happening to you in your life right now are not a matter of chance or a matter of luck what if what if god is wanting To speak to you through the midst of your circumstances. What if God is wanting to say something to you in the midst of your circumstances? It's an extraordinary way to think. It's a different twist on how most of us see life. Listen to what it says in the book of Proverbs Solomon writes, We may throw the dice, but the Lord determines how they fall. We may throw the dice. But God determines how they fall. God is in control. We believe in the providence, what is called the providence of God. Here it is. Everything in creation, we believe this as Christians, everything in creation is under the providing care of God. Not only does God supply all things, but he arranges them according to his plan for his glory. I want to ask you, do you believe that? Do you really believe that? How often do we say, oh my goodness, I'm having such a run of bad luck? What if God is arranging circumstances because he has a purpose, he has a design even in that? There's something that he's wanting to accomplish. There's something that he's wanting to do. There's something very important that God is at work doing. Many of you know the name of Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson, you may, you guys don't know his name, but there was something called Watergate many, many years ago, and he got arrested. He was very important. He was really high up in the government, and he had to go to jail. Now, we think that's a really bad thing. Chuck Colson thought that was a really bad thing. But it was in jail that he met Jesus. And it was in jail that his life turned around. It was when he was in jail in this place he never wanted to be that life turned around for Chuck Colson. When he got out of jail, what did he do? He began Prison Fellowship Ministries. He began writing books about the Kingdom of God that changed so many the lives of so many people. Which brings us to the next point, and this is really profound. God often changes the course of history through the obedience and the actions of people like you and me. You're no different than me. I'm just like you. I'm just a lot older. But we're, we're we have all the same things that we want to do in life. We're, we're sinful people and we're trying to figure life out. Now, I've met Jesus, and Jesus is the Lord of my life, but listen to what it says in verse 14 again, and who knows, listen to this, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. What if the very thing that you hate worst in your life right now is the very place that God has planted you for a reason? What if that job that just feels like such a dead-end job and you just hate it every day that you go, what if God has planted you there because there's something great that he wants you to accomplish? What if that marriage that is struggling so bad, that, that marriage that you just wanna get out of, what if God has planted you there because he wants to do a great work in that marriage through that marriage, to change the lives of others? What if that illness that you would never want, that cancer that that nobody wants, what if God is going to do something great to minister to people through that very disease that you have? What if that very insignificant situation in your life that you think doesn't matter is the very place God has planted you for the purpose of accomplishing something Great. Who knows but that you are in this position, in this place in life, for such a time as this. Who knows what it is that God is wanting to do in such a time as this. This is the most famous of all the verses that come from the book of Esther. Because doesn't it capture your imagination? Doesn't it capture a vision of that God can take something that I think is so bad, is so awful, something that I think I don't want, and do something for His glory that is extraordinary? Who knows but that God has not put you where you are for such a time as this? Listen, I I wrote just some of these things down. I, before I share them, I, I want you to hear this, because I think we're a lot alike, and I know that when I'm in a situation I don't like, all I want to do is what? Get out of it. That's where all my energy goes, and i just mailing it in. I just want out of this situation. When what if, what if God in the midst of it is going to do something profound? What if, what if? It's because I'm in that very place that God is going to change the world in some way. What if? Maybe you're in a nursing home or a retirement home, and you think, oh, my good years are behind me. What if God is going to use you in that very place to change the life of someone else who's going to change the life of someone else? for the glory of the kingdom of God." What if? Doesn't that change the way you look at your circumstances? You see, right now, you might be, you might think that your life is insignificant. Your life is not insignificant. My life is not insignificant. We saw a couple weeks ago, how many of you are, anybody eight years old? that a king came to the throne in Israel who was eight years old. Can you imagine being king at your age? Everybody, you got to boss everybody around. Can you imagine? Who knows but that God didn't bring you to the place you're at right now for such a time as this. No circumstance is insignificant. Maybe you believe that you have made too many mistakes and God can't use you. Look at Chuck Colson, thrown into prison. Look at Chuck Colson. God changed him in prison. God changed the world because of his prison experience. Maybe you believe that you're not capable of making an impact. God can use anybody. One of my my favorite verses in the Bible is this, although I don't want it on my tombstone. God spoke through Balaam's donkey. I know this, you should have seen, I got such bad grades in speech class when I took speech in elementary school, I know it doesn't surprise some of you, or in in junior high school, but if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through me, and he can speak through you, right? Maybe you feel like your life is stuck, you're not going anywhere, but maybe God has you right where you are because there's something that he wants to do, and maybe it's to prepare you for the next thing. Maybe, just maybe, you're in the perfect place that God wants you because he's going to use you right where you are to change you and to change the world through you. Here's the last thing that I want you to see, and that's this. a life of faith requires courage. Esther has a decision to make. She can put her life on the line. She could confess who she is and try, by that, through that courage, try to find a way to save the Jews. Listen to what happens. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, after he had said, who knows but that God has placed you in this place for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me, fasting, praying. Do not eat or drink for three, days, for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. When I read this, I had to think, what would I do? What would you do? Would you put your life on the line? You see, God calls us to do things that we don't feel comfortable or safe doing. That's what faith is. Most of us only do the things that God calls us to do that we know we can do, or we feel safe. That's not faith. Faith is doing what only God can do through you. Faith, by its very nature, requires courage. And so Esther has to take a step of faith, has to take a step of courage, because she knows that her life is on the line. She knows. She knows that the king could decide because she has come before him without being summoned that he can destroy her or at best banish her. He, she knows that if he finds out she's a Jew, he can't save her life because of the edict that's already been pronounced. He can't save her life. She's going to die with all the rest of the Jews. But Esther steps forward I want to ask you this question, what would you have done? But even more importantly, as you look at your life right now, where do you need to be courageous? I want to close with this story. I wanted, Pastor, uh, some of you know that we have three congregations. We have a Korean congregation and a Korean uh, culture and uh, a Korean speaking service as well as an English speaking service. We have a Mandarin-speaking service uh, right now. In fact, uh, Pastor Lon is, uh, is preaching right now to our, um, at our Chinese uh, service. And he has learned Mandarin in the last week. It's amazing. <laughs> that guy is so smart. But Pastor dae Kim, pastor of our Korean congregation, told me a story uh, about a year ago. And I'm like, and he just told it to me like it was a matter of fact. And I'm like, this is extraordinary. This is amazing. Are you kidding me? And so I asked him last week, I said, would you come and share that story? And he says, I don't feel comfortable because it's too much attention on me. So I said, okay, then I'll tell your story and I'll put the attention on you. By the way, I would have had no problems telling the story if it were me. (laughs) Pastor Day, back in 2010, took... Um, what was it, five five college students with him to North Korea, to the capital city of Pyongyang. And while they were there, and they didn't know this was going to be happening, but there was a national celebration honoring the death of the supreme ruler, the founder of North Korea, the one who brought communism into North Korea. His name was Kim Il Sung. and. On that day, his body rests in a room that is probably twice as big as this one, right in the center of the room, and and it's in glass. And so, no air, so the body can't decompose, and he's in this glass thing so people can see his body. Well, on this day, the new supreme leader of North Korea decreed that everybody in in the city of Pyongyang had to come and bow before this dead body. Pastor Day's group had three North Korean advisors with them, making sure they didn't do anything they weren't supposed to do, making sure they weren't talking about Jesus, making sure that they weren't uh, handing out Bibles. And Pastor Day said, I won't do that. I won't do that. I'm not going to bow to a dead body that's not my king I will only bow before Jesus and the advisor said oh, you can't do that you don't understand you don't have a choice the room that you're going in everybody has to go you have to go we have to take you there and they'll know if you don't go and the room is surrounded by guards holding weapons holding guns you have to bow So that night, Pastor Day and the five college students prayed together. They know that their room, they assumed their room was, um, what's the word? What? Bugged. Thank you. Bugged. (laughs) Now you know why I didn't do well in speech class in junior high. I kept saying, what's that word? The room was bugged. They spent the night in prayer. Morning came, and every one of those college students said, we will not bow before that body. They were taken to the room, and there's just this incredible line as you can imagine. And you come around, you can't, you can't smile, you, 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 the only thing you can do is mourn. And when it's your turn, three people come up at a time, and they bow before the body. It comes to Pastor Day and his group, and they come, and they just stand, erect, and they will not bow before this body. Pastor Day had, had said to the, one of the advisors had said, look, if I brought you to America and we told you you had to bow before our president, would you do that? And She said, of course I wouldn't. He said, well, I won't bow before your leader." She said, just, we're going to get in trouble. And we don't know what can happen to you. But they didn't do it. Every day, they were there for three more days. And every day, they were waiting to be arrested. You know what often happens. They wait until you're getting on your plane. They didn't know until the plane took off that they were going to be safe. Now, the advisor, the advisor said to them, whole day aside because she didn't want the other advisors to hear her she said now I know that you believe truly believe in your God Jesus in the back of the bus they shared the good news of Jesus Christ with this advisor when the other two advisors were up front and they couldn't hear it now I don't know what happened to that advisor. I don't know if one day she gave her life to Jesus, but maybe, just maybe, out of that courage, at such a moment as this, God lit a match through the obedience of Pastor Day and these five college students. And maybe, just maybe, that's a fire that continues to burn to this day. What would you have done? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the amazing God that you are. Thank you for your love and your goodness. Thank you for, Lord, for the story of Esther, a story that uh, often people don't read, but it's a story that really speaks to our lives. God, I pray that you would minister to your people this morning through this great truth, this great book of the Bible.